Hi, good morning. My name is Janice. I am pleased to be bringing you another message in the series that we are in called um, There I Said It. There I Said It. Um, if you do have your Bibles or your apps and you're ready to go, you want to head over to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be working out of Romans chapter 12 uh, today. You know, uh, oh, notice also behind me, folks, new year, new us. We have a new backdrop. Thank you to MJ and team who created that. Um, we appreciate those of you who are so creative and just add to the elements that allow us to experience God while we are here. And so um, kudos to that. Alrighty, I've got some ground to cover, so I want to jump right in. Are you ready? Romans chapter 12. You can follow along on the screens if you don't have anything uh, with you this morning. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. Um, Earlier this week, uh, Joe and I uh, went out to the movies. We believe strongly in date night. If you don't have date night, we encourage you to do that. Uh, we're coming up on 40 years. This is year 40 for us, and, um, and we still just enjoy a dinner and a movie together or whatever. But anyway, we were at the movies, and, and I know I'm at that spot now where I tend to, um, you know, maybe... I might lose like 10 minutes of the plot. I, I don't know why I drift off at the beginning of the movie and fall asleep. I wish I could sleep during the previews. That would be great, right? And then I'd be good to go for the whole movie. It's not that way. At any rate, I caught the previews at this last movie we were at, and, um, and there was a preview for a movie called Jesus Revolution. Now, I was interested in it because it involves uh, Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith, who um, are kind of involved in the history of vineyards beginnings out in California, and so we haven't gone to see it, but, but I was just thinking about the 60s because they were talking about, and, and part of the heart of that is, that young people were coming to Christ in this Jesus movement that we call what happened in the 1970s, and they were trying to go to churches where they were not welcome. Because the people who were in those churches, in those pews and traditions, wanted them to cut their hair, put on some shoes, maybe put a shirt on, you know, take a bath, whatever. And so there, it was a really judgy time, right? The 60s, 70s were a very judgy time. Um, if I ever get the chance to teach history again, and I get to teach on 2020, I would suggest to you that 2020 is a very judgy time. It was a time when we were just... Um, picking sides, sizing each other up and deciding where we were. Uh, I was going through uh, some of my old journals the other day. I was looking for something in particular and I was kind of got stuck in the 2020s. And I just want you to know that everything I wanted to say in 2020 that I did not put on social media, I wrote down. There's a lot. There's a lot. But, it, but at any rate, I'm like, it was such a judgy time. It was like a really bad game of Red Rover. 
Do you remember what Red Rover is? How many of you ever, I mean, you have to be as old as me to play Red Rover. Red Rover was this, this schoolyard game where you just have two teams and the teams hold hands and dare somebody from the other side to come and blast through you, right? I mean, doesn't that sum up 2020? It's like I'm linking arms with whoever is on my side and I'm going to dare you, come at me, right? And it was just this weird sort of thing. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. We just got further and further apart. Have you noticed that when you have been judging someone who thinks differently than you or behaves differently than you or whatever, or is just maybe slipping away, getting a little bit of distance, have you ever noticed that distance breeds misunderstanding? I heard someone say, and it, it stuck with me ever since, they, two couples, they were very close when I met them, and, and over time I realized they had, weren't hanging out very much together, and I asked something about you know, their friendship, and she's like, you know, I don't really know what's going on over there. We probably just need to spend more time together. And I thought that's very astute. You know, when you think you're maybe drifting, you're, you're starting to, to, to have fictive conversations about what you think they're, they're thinking and doing or whatever, we just need to see the whites of your eyes again so that we can remember what we have in common and, and work through whatever those things are. Without a doubt, many people are staying away from church because of the time that they were away during COVID and they're hesitant to come back, without a doubt. Some of us have felt burned by people who called themselves Christians. Some of us have felt burned by people who supposedly were part of a church community, but they began to associate and seem now synonymous with a particular political party or a particular voting position, and then that feels a little, a little strange to us, and so we're just, we're just not really sure. Have you ever stumbled in your own faith because somebody that you had respected, somebody you had trusted, acted like a jerk? They just weren't acting in a very godly manner. You felt judged by them, judged by someone, maybe inside the church. Can I say, if, that, if you've ever felt that, can I say that today's, whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room, can I say I think this message is for you today? We're going to talk about judging a little bit. We're going to be using Romans uh, 12. I'm going to get back at that in a minute to, to make my points. All right? Here's my deal. Judging isn't wrong. We just need to get better at it. There, I said it. Stay with me to the end, okay? Judging isn't wrong. We need to get better at it. We can and should judge without being judgmental. We can and we should judge without being judgmental. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119.66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. John 7.34, ESV. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And then Paul says, that's Jesus talking, right? And then Paul says in Philippians 1.9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment. Do you know that discernment is a gift of the Spirit? And here's the definition of discernment. Are you ready? According, I mean, I wasn't like looking up urban dictionary. This was like legit dictionaries, right? Uh, definition of discernment. The ability to judge well. The ability to judge well. Some of us have been judged poorly. Some of us have judged poorly. We have. 
and we can repent from that. But words carry freight in our society, right, and in our culture and experience. So let's, let's break it down a little bit because, because here's, the thing, here's the danger of what I think has happened. If, if we feel like we have been judged in the church and we decide to pull back, what we begin to do is we swing the pendulum too far the other way and then we begin to say things, and you've heard people say this, you don't have any right to judge me. You don't have any right to care about you. It's not your job. It is not your position. You don't have any right to have any say into what I do. And yet scripture is telling us, make a right judgment, make a correct judgment, right? So judging isn't wrong. We need to get better at doing that. So let's, let's look at the definitions of a few more words. The word judge. The word judge means to form an opinion or a conclusion about. When you got up this morning, depending on how early you got up, you might have made a judgment about what was falling from the sky. And you probably made adjustments based on that judgment that you made, right? What you wore today, whether you decided to use windshield wipers on the way to work, whether you carried an umbrella, whatever, right? You made a judgment. You decided, good or bad, you made a judgment about what is happening, right? However you want to approach that. If you are judgmental, it means you are having or displaying an excessively critical point of view. So you are making a good or bad determination, but in your case, it's mostly bad. <laughs> Excessively critical. If you're judgmental, you are sizing people up, but you err on the side of darkness, right? This is, you're always leaning toward that is not going well. And if you want to go further to judgmentalism, judgmentalism means that you tend to judge people too quickly and critically. So now there's a speed factor involved, right? You're still being critical. You're still thinking that people are mostly bad, but now you're doing it really fast. Mostly bad and really fast. I would put it this way. Judgmentalism is judgment taking to the 10th power. Do you, do you all, I don't know, I've done math in school for a long time, but in our day we learned about powers. Do you still do the, to the 10th power and all of that in school? Yeah, all right, see, some of our kids know. All right, so, so imagine that, judgment to the 10th power. I also could say it this way. You've made a conclusion, you've added some attitude on top of it, and now some predictive text. You made a conclusion, you have an attitude about it. You know, I woke up, it looks like it's raining, I've got an attitude about that, and now my whole day is ruined. I have predicted that the day will be terrible, right? I've added things to it, I've become, that's judgmentalism. So, when we hear or see something, when we hear a report about someone, I think we need to ask ourselves, or, or about, goodness, it's current events, whatever it is, I think we need to ask ourselves a couple of things as we're making judgments. First of all, is it true? Is it true? And to the best of your knowledge, or, is, you know, I'll, sometimes somebody will say something and you'll hear me say, is that your best guess? I need to know if you're hypothesizing or if you really know that, right? Do you know that as a best guess? Is it true? Verify before you terrify. Some people just want to terrify everybody with, with all of this terrible news. I mean, sometimes we do that with diagnoses. Oh, I've got this, so-and-so's got this and that and the other kind of cancer. Do they, what stage is it? Do we know that? Don't terrify people until we know a few details, right? Because things can get out of hand and we can get worked up. Second of all, what's the source? Who is the source? We must pay attention to sources. I would say that in 2020, all of us were checking sources. The problem was we trusted different sources. 
This group trusted this source over here to the grave. This pe these people trusted this source to the grave. If the sources didn't agree, both of them claimed to be educated. Both of them claimed to have more information than everybody else. And it, so it depended on who you trusted. Verify your sources. But who tells you something matters? If you hear something about someone else, my question is, do you have agenda in telling me that? Do you have agenda in, in reporting disinformation in some way? Same with news you know, sources. Do there, is there agenda behind that? And then finally, how does God want me to respond? If I am privy to a piece of information, if I am privy to a story about someone, if I have been alerted to a situation, I have to ask myself, God, why, why do I know this? Why have I been told this information? Because I think there's a few ways we can respond. One of the ways we can respond is, do you pass it up or pass it on? I would, let's, let's take restaurant reviews. <laughs> if you have a bad experience, and, and take it from, so we used to own a little coffee shop, and can I tell you, reviews will kill you. Right? They will, will kill you. you. You got one employee that screwed up and somebody goes nuts about that and then, you know, because we respond to that. If you have a bad experience at a restaurant, you can pass it up to the manager. You can let the people know you've got some issue here that needs to be fixed. Or you can pass it on on social media. Right? Does that really, is that helpful? Is that what God is inviting us to do with that information? Or, you know, are we trying to save the world with that? Maybe we are. Do we confront about it or do we stew about it? If I have learned about a situation, is God inviting me to be involved, to confront, or is he do I really think he's inviting me to just stew and get worked up about this in my own heart with, with no good reason? Is he inviting me to rebuke someone forget, or forgive someone? How about this? Maybe God is t letting me in on something so that I can pray, so that I can pray for a change of heart in something that's happening, someone. I can pray that this situation changes. Maybe God is giving me information for that reason. He could be giving me information so that I can build a hedge in this area, a protection. Oh, I've heard that this is dangerous. Let's be careful about that, right? We're not blocking people out of our lives, but we're creating a hedge of protection around the people that we're responsible for. And finally, maybe God is inviting you to stand in the gap. Stand in the gap for someone. And by that I mean protecting extra people who might get hurt, right? Finding a way to limit something that is happening so that uh, people are not hurt or influenced. When I was uh, studying to be a teacher in Oklahoma, one of the classes that I took that I detested was on assessment. We had to take an entire class on how to build a test. How to, how to make good true and false tests and multiple choice and recall and all that stuff. Yeah, and, and you know why? Because assessments matter. Right? We teach assessment because we need assessment. And, and get this, I, I never could give a grade uh, for somebody's attitude. I wanted to give grades on attitude. But I had to assess the actual work that they turned in. That's what we do, right? And assessment is crucial to human survival and to social interaction. Honestly, we know how socially adjusted people are by their ability to assess a situation. Can you size up a situation quickly? This is making a judgment. If you're in law enforcement, you know how important this is. Can you size up a situation that's going, on, that's going down? Is this okay? Is there, are there issues there? Can you read the room? If you're a public speaker, the goal is that you finish speaking before they quit listening. I'm aiming for that this morning. I don't know. We'll find out, right? But can you read the room? Can you tell when people are annoyed with you? 
like in a conversation. If they begin to roll their eyes and look at the door, you know, you might wrap it up. You know what I mean? Because they're getting, they're getting annoyed. Can you spot danger? Can you identify potential for harm? See, we do background checks over in VKids. If you work with our kids, we do a background check. It's not foolproof at all, but you know what? It, it's a start because it's looking for a pattern. And I would suggest to you that in our culture, we look for patterns everywhere. We're not only making judgments to differentiate, we're looking for patterns. If, if you're looking to buy a house, you're going to get a credit check. You might have to furnish driving records for insurance, background checks. All of those things identify patterns because a pattern of behavior that suggests good faith with whatever it is matters. So do you have a pattern of behavior that suggests good faith toward children? Do you have a pattern of behavior that suggests good faith toward other motorists? Do you have uh, a pattern of behavior that uh, suggests good faith toward paying your debt or toward making your payments on time or toward treating your spouse well? These are all things that we think are wise to figure out before we do something. What we really want to know is, are you a good bet? If I'm an insurance company or I'm lending you something or I'm employing you or I'm marrying you, I want to know if you're a good bet. I want to know if there's any flags in there. If you're in the dating phase of life, I suggest that you look for patterns in someone's life. It matters. Are there red flags? Most of us consider this kind of judgment wise because it affects our choices. Before you bet the farm on someone, expose your business to risk, you eliminate unsavory patterns from the mix. Making judgments is essential to physical health, relational health, and spiritual health. Becoming judgmental is detrimental to all three. There's a lot of words. Making ju becoming judgmental is detrimental to all three. So if we're called to judge well, how do we get better at it? Let's start with how we judge God's will for our lives in Romans 12 that we just read, right? Where it talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that then... We can test and approve, discern God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So number one, if we want to discern things, we need to give God our best and be different. You have to be different. You need to stand out from the world around us, right? Giving God our best is not um, just a one and done sort of thing. It's not one big offering. It's not one big sacrifice. A living sacrifice goes on and on and on. It's giving God our best continually, offering back to God what he has given to us in such a way that God is worshipped through that, right? That's a living sacrifice. And when we do that, we are changed by a reset in our mind, and we refuse to conform or blend into the world. Now, I grew up Mennonite. The Mennonites tend to, depending on what group it is, tend to dress a little differently than the rest of the world. And we use this verse a lot, do not conform to the world. You may not wear jeans like the other people are wearing jeans, right? I mean, and it was, it was this idea of not conforming, and I appreciate the thought, but what they missed was the transforming the mind, right? The reset of the mind. It was more about just making sure that you had on the right uniform and, and, and the effort to not blend into the world. When we are changed by a reset, we will refuse to conform or blend in. And that renewal, that fresh perspective doesn't smell like the world. It lets us test and approve what God's will is. 
Have you ever asked God for help in making a decision, for being discerning, what his will is in this particular situation, what I should do with my life, what I should study, um, what should I do in this season of life, or how do I come back from this place of failure in my life? According to Paul in this letter to Romans, I think here's your prescription. Give God your best in ongoing behavior. Don't settle into world patterns and be changed in your mind. Paul says we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And you're like, well, that's great. Judging God's will is one thing, but what, that's not what usually hurts me. What hurts me is this judging other people business. What do we do about that, right? How do we get better at that? Um, at the university years ago, one of my favorite days was Friday, not because it was the end of the week, but because on Fridays there was this uh, discussion group that was held in uh, an empty room. I think it was at the library somewhere. And there were professors in there from different uh, schools of thought, different fields of study. And, uh, and we would just throw up a, a topic for the week, uh, discussing something in current events or an article. And the one week that I remember distinctly, we were talking about the, the issues, think about it, early 2000s, so racial profiling because of 9-11 and different things that had happened. We were talking about racial profiling and the good, bad, and the, and the dark side of that. And none of these people that I knew of were believers, but I was intrigued by what the psychology professor offered. And, and you know, I expected everybody to say, you, you're not allowed to profile, you can't notice anything, you know, pretend that you don't see any differences among anybody, everybody has to be treated the same, yada, yada, yada. And he said, the brain's primary function, its primary function is to sort information. That's what we do. That's why Sesame Street used to put up the little four things, four of these things are, you know, one of these is not like the other, right? You know, that's profiling. What's different? What sticks out there, right? If you're looking for, uh, you know, a bad guy in a sedan, you're only going to look for sedans, you know? If, if we got an Amber Alert the other day that said, you know, somebody had gotten uh, you know, away from where they needed to be in this particular kind of car. Guess what we're looking for? Only that kind of car. That's what we're, uh, right? That's zeroing in on something. So, so it's interesting that that's not the problem, right? The brain's function is doing that. People have been sizing each other up since the beginning of time, but here's where it goes awry. James warns the early church about this in James chapter 2. I'm going to skip through a few of these verses. Starting 2, verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you sit there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's okay to make the judgment, but now mercy has to guide your actions. 
Mercy has to affect the way we treat the people that we have noticed who are different from one another. Because here's a thought, how in the world would we ever reach out and care for the poor and needy among us if we could not notice who they are? We must, right? We must be able to take stock of people who might be in need. Now, some of us cover really well, and you're in need and nobody knows it. But by and large, if it is visible to us in some way, we want to take stock of that so that people can be cared for. Our judgments become judgmental when I build a box and put you in it. When I've decided that I'm going to trap you in a position when I'm going to assign a motive to what you're doing and I'm going to condemn you for that, I not only imagine the worst, I refuse to give you a chance to change, I refuse to believe God can transform you at all or renew your mind, and then I discriminate when I treat you differently. That's judgmentalism, right? Now I'm going to treat you differently based on the judgment that I have made. We need to notice disparity in wealth or we'd never be able to help each other. Judging isn't wrong, we need to get better at it. There, I said it. So, what's the first start to that? I think, number two, the first start to that is to sober up. Sober up. Paul says in verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed you. Paul reminds us, hold up. Before you start fussing about everybody else, let's examine what's happening. Take a serious look at your own self. Judging well starts with evaluating ourselves. Judging well, this is really Jesus' words, right? Paul is only preaching Jesus. When Jesus says, you see, you notice the speck in somebody else's eye and you forget about the plank in your own eye. The goal there isn't don't ever notice anybody's speck. Don't, you know, don't, don't act like you didn't see that. No, the goal is clean up your own eyeballs, but let's also help other people with whatever eye trouble they've got, right? We want to work toward all of that together. But here's the deal. Judging well has to start with evaluating ourselves because judgmentalism comes from a place of superiority. When I begin to feel a little more lofty, a little more highbrow than the people around me, or if I feel like I'm in control of something, I think I can expect the same from you. Perhaps God has given you faith or strength or lack of exposure to some particular vice or sin. You don't get to take credit for your ability to not cuss if you don't know any cuss words. That's silly, right? Um, in our small group, we were talking about, if you're not in a small group, can I encourage you to get in one? We're, we're doing this book from uh, Quit to Finish, and we were talking about resolutions, and we asked for the funniest New Year's resolution we've ever heard of, and one guy said, there's somebody at my work, every year he says, uh, I'm, uh, this year my resolution is to quit smoking. We're like, oh, that's great. He goes, no, no, the guy has never smoked a day in his life. Well, there's instant success. Good for you, buddy. You know what I mean? Wouldn't it be great to say that you gave up a whole bunch of things you've never done? That's silly. I mean, right? But we begin to take credit for all of those things when we don't even have any clue of how hard those things are. How can I be judgmental about that, right? I can judge that all the evidence leads to this or that being an unhealthy practice, but I don't have to be judgmental toward people who are struggling with something that I do not struggle with because I simply have never been exposed to something or have that. So let's do, let's do a self-check real quick. Don't anybody say anything out loud. Just keep this in your, in your heart. What is it, what vice in the world are you most thankful 
that you don't struggle with? What vice is there out there that you're just like, man, I'm so glad that that is not a deal for me, right? Let me give you a few ideas. Money. Maybe you are great with your finances. You've cared for your finances well, you've saved well, you've invested well, you give well, and you're generous. You, you, you mean you feel good about that? You feel really solid. That is not a place the enemy tempts you, right? What about uh, uh, coarse language? You know, you're just not tempted to use coarse language. For some reason, it's not a thing for you. You can, you know, you can hammer your finger all day long and nothing terrible comes out of your mouth. Whatever, good for you, right? Whatever that is. Maybe you're really thankful that you don't feel like you're greedy. You don't think you're stingy about stuff. You feel like you're a very generous person. Maybe you're somebody who's like, I am really glad that my anger is not an issue for me. I never get out of control. I don't rage at anybody. You know, bad drivers don't even offend me. I, I really, you know, I have a handle on that part of my life. Um, maybe this. Maybe you're thankful and you're like, I, you know, I've never struggled with gender confusion. All this stuff about, you know, same-sex orientation, I don't really understand that because I've never struggled with that. That is not a deal for me at all. Maybe you don't have a, a problem with lust. You're like, I don't understand why the porn industry is so big because it's just not bothering me. It never tempts me that hard. You know what I mean? You can look at all my socials and you, you know, everybody would be fine. That's not a problem. Perhaps you're really proud of the fact that you never feel pride and, or superior. You know, you've really got a handle on that. You're feeling, you're rather proud of how humble that you've managed to be. Whatever that is, whatever that area of life that you feel most confident in, whatever that area is, that is where you are most likely to disrespect or become judgmental toward another person's journey. The thing that you don't struggle with, you, it's easy to, under, to misunderstand why anybody else would, and it's hard. And Paul is saying, sober up. Sober up and evaluate yourself more seriously and more correctly the way he invites us to do when we take communion. In Corinthians, he tells us how to approach the communion table. So we have communion available for you at the back of the room every Sunday and then on pulse nights when we have a pulse service, we, we come forward for communion. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone needs to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. This is like a little spiritual house cleaning. You go back there and you're like, God, this is a moment to take stock of what God has done for us, to sober up and take seriously the sacrifice that he made for us. Because our ability to judge others starts with self-examination. And then finally... Another aspect to judging well, particularly within the church community, is to remember that we all, number three, belong to each other. In this church community, whether you like it or not, God built the church and we belong to each other. And we need to watch out for each other because we are a team. We are a team. Now, I've been watching a lot of football lately, and there's a couple games I can't wait to watch this afternoon, all right? And for those of you who have been following along with football, can I just tell you that there's one team, and we won't name any names, but there's one team who's really struggled their, their, with their kicker. <laughs> you know who you are, right? 
bless him. Bless his heart. He has one job, and he's been on the struggle bus, okay? Now, here's the, here's the crazy part. In pre, in, 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 until postseason, until postseason, he's, he's batting 90, he's not batting, but he's kicking 91%. He's, he's, good, he's a good kicker. 91% of the times he gets up there, it goes through the uprights. Postseason happens. Dude, I don't know what happened. He kicks it this way. He was hitting, what, I'm going to get the number right. He was only getting one out of six in postseason play. Oh my, and you could just see it. It's all in his head, right? First he kicks and it goes right. Next time he gets up, he kicks and it goes left. He overcorrects. Then he gets up and he kicks again. And this time it gets blocked, but it was headed right anyway. You know what I mean? I mean, he just, he's just in his head. You could tell. It was terrible. And people are like, you know, fire the kicker. He's terrible. He's, you know, whatever. But what I'm really interested about, right, is the way the team treated him. Now, I'm not privy to what happened in the locker room. Maybe they beat him up and, you know, dunked his head in the toilet in the locker room. I have no idea what they did. But out on the field, this is what I notice, okay? Ain't nobody happy about it. <laughs> nobody can pretend to be happy when a game-winning point is, is, you know, missed. That's all you had to do, buddy, and you missed it, right? And then you missed it again. And, and people are not happy. Nobody's, nobody, there's no confusion about that. Nobody congratulates him on missing the point. But they don't ignore it either. They don't shun him. You don't see them push him over to the side. Instead, you watch a player go by, and, and get this, they're not girls. They don't go up and go, oh, how'd you feel about that? You know, can you think about flowers? Or something? I mean, they're not doing that. There's a guy walking by, slapping him on the back as he goes by. Now, that kicker, there's no way that he took that as congratulations. Right? He didn't go, oh, he really liked that miss, didn't he? No. But he did understand, dude, you're part of the team. You know what I mean? Do better next time. The whole team is trying to figure out how to encourage this guy to get out of his head and do better next time. That's the goal. The goal is not to punish him for missing. The goal is to help him do better because what he does affects the whole team. Can you imagine if the church behaved like that? Can you imagine if one of us misses the point five times in a row? And instead of shoving us to the side and pushing us out of play, people come along, they don't congratulate you. They're not happy about it. There's no approval, right? We're not approving bad behavior. We are simply going, dude, you can do it. I believe in you. We're going to do it again. You know, we're going we're to stand behind you. We're going to rah, 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 whatever you need. We're, we're there for you. We're working as a team. That's what we're talking about, because we belong to each other. God set it up. He did not set us up to work as free agents. He didn't. Now, I get it. Some of us have really struggled with that, right? Because we're like, I, I just feel hurt and burned by the church. I feel like I've been wounded by people who identified with a particular church. And do not hear me making excuses here. I'm not making excuses. But I am going to make a prediction. You sign up for this church, you're probably going to get hurt again. You know why? Because some of us sin. We might sin on you. I don't want to. I hope we don't. But we might miss that extra point, and you might feel hurt by that. But the body of believers comes together. And if the pain that you've experienced from people who call themselves the church has kept you from engaging God or engaging in the church body, can I suggest to you that that's not going to be a good enough excuse when you meet Jesus? 
You're not going to be able to say, well, I was doing really good until that church over there made fun of me or I heard that they said bad things about me or whatever and then I just gave up on it. I keep running into people this week even who are like, I used to go to church and I'm like, yeah, where are you worshiping these days? Oh, nowhere. You know, I got a divorce and I just don't feel good about going back and people didn't treat me nice and whatever. You know what? Things happen. So people hop from one church to another because one hurts you there and, and there's no church that's not going to hurt you. Because we're made up of people. We're going to do our level best to not do that. But we have to remember that we are a community and we work together. So staying away is not going to do that, right? You, you need to quit nibbling on the edge of community. You need to actually get involved, join the team, whether it's this church or a different one, and do your part. Thanksgiving dinner is no fun over Zoom. Right? Because... As a family, you need to get together and eat turkey together. As a church, we have to be together to actually be in community together. Now, get, I, I understand we have reasons and valid reasons why people are watching online. Don't hear me smacking at that. If that's the way that you are able to participate and the only way you can participate, but it never takes the place of what this really means for us to be together, where we belong to each other. Now, for those of us, one last thing, for those of us who take this wounding lightly and you're like, I'm so tired of people being church hurt, why can't they just get over it? I didn't say anything anyway, it was somebody else, and we're just like, whatever. You know who you are. Luke 17, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. They're bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these to stumble. So, we're back at it. Watch yourselves. Self-examine. Watch yourselves. We are going to be called to account for causing folks to stumble in their faith. We still need to be community, call each other to holiness, set apartness. We need to care enough to confront those who are willy-nilly engaging in sinful behavior and harmful behaviors, but Jesus says, and this is probably where Paul got it, watch yourselves, because we belong to each other. Now, if you've been around here for a while, or if you haven't, this is, this is what happened. The people that are gathering are part of our prayer team, and the way we like to end our time together is because our goal is that you encounter God. I hope that you encountered him through worship. I hope that you encountered him through the message. But mostly, I hope that you encounter him and have a chance to do that through prayer. So would you come to your feet as we go into our, our ministry time here? Here's what's going to happen. Uh, worship team is going to sing one more song. And during that time, we have people up here that you can come up and approach any time during that song to have them pray for you. And if these people fill up, the more prayer team people will come up. I promise. They're really good at that. Okay? It's kind of like magic. But here's what I felt like God wanted to say to those of us in the room as we approach this time. I really felt like God was saying he wanted to do some healing this morning. I know that there are some of you in here who are struggling with some chronic issues, some health issues, and you would just like, the scripture tells us to pray over one another for healing. And we want to do that. If you are struggling with something that is physical, maybe you have a procedure coming up, maybe you're waiting on results from something, or maybe you're just having pains and, and things that have been bothering you and you just would like it to be gone, come up and let someone pray over you. But in addition to that, I feel like God said there are people in here struggling with relational wounds. 
There's a relationship that has fallen apart. There's some things that are keeping you at a distance, at a distance from God. Whatever that relational wound is, it's not only affected you and, and that person, but it has affected you and the way you're behaving toward the body of Christ or to Jesus himself. I believe that Jesus even knew Judas was going to harm him when he picked him. And we can still engage with people, even with that risk. And then finally, I think that there are some people in here who have a wound and you feel like it, it's pretty well healed. You thought you were over it. Everything's okay. And then every now and then, it smarts again. I'm pretty sure I broke my toe at Christmas. I thought I was doing really good till last night. I kick something and I'm like nope that's not healed yet we have relational things that are not healed and when we step on something or somebody kicks it all of a sudden you remember again and it is time for you to lay that down today and let Jesus start that deep healing from within I'm going to pray and if any of that resonated with you you come up and get some, some prayer as we go into this last song Father thank you for this time together Thank you for those who are in the room who, who know that you want to do a work in their life. God, give us the courage to step out and do a reset. God, give us the courage to go and receive the healing that we need for relationships that, have, uh, that are bothering us, things that we think that we have got a handle on, but, they're, but it's still painful. God, we invite you to just clean out those wounds this morning. In Jesus' name.